Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to chat. My name is Brian Kearney. Absolutely delighted today to be joined by an old friend of mine, Maria Healy. Maria, how are you? I'm good, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a privilege. <laughs> it's great to have you on. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good, thanks. I'm just back from the gym. I'm pumped. How are you? Actually doing all right, because today, yeah. the day that we're recording, um, there seems to be a big shift in terms of uh, the messaging and the government's approach to how they're going to handle COVID and stuff. I'm still a little bit sceptical about why it's changing so quickly and stuff, but um, any news, any good news I'll take with yeah. what we've gone through over the past two years. So let's hope that this is the beginning of the end of it and we can just move on from this farce and what's happened and how it's been handled because for, for someone like yourself and myself being involved in the scene that we've been in has just been very, very tough. So let's hope we can move on. Yeah, absolutely. That that's from Ireland, is it? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't see that. But um I think England has, you know, I think from March they're scrapping more or less everything now. So fingers crossed, this is the way forward. Yeah, that's what they're saying here as well. They're getting rid of the COVID pass oh, and nightclubs yeah. and all that are, are coming back and stuff. So just need to see what they say later on. Obviously this podcast will go out after of all course, that stuff has yeah. been announced. Yeah. But, yeah. Um just let's just speak about what they've said so far, but it's all good. But um yeah, as I said, it's great to have you on the podcast. Uh, you're the Thank first, you. you're the first female guest that I've had on. For anyone accusing me of uh, <laughs> uh, favoritism towards certain sexual sex or whatever, but I, one of our one of my first guests was supposed to be um, a female, but unfortunately, she wasn't able to to come on the podcast oh. for for various reasons. But it's great to have you on. And uh, thank you, representing. It. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's uh, it's good to have you on today. You're someone that I've known for a very very long time since your uh, since the early clubbing days in the vaults in, in oh, Dublin. Oh God, yeah, where, yeah. Um, For people listening in, the vaults was a place that um, I sort of started. Uh, DJing on a regular basis and, and every single gig that I played there was this one girl up the front <laughs> uh, screaming about to play certain tracks and to do this and to there do was that. one track do you remember the yeah. one track yeah, of course that I, I do, yeah. Jose Amnesia yeah, yeah Louder the, my rework of oh, Louder my that, God, but yeah. when I listen back to that rework now I don't even know how I played it because the track is completely out, out of key. The bass line isn't even the same key that the track is. But that that's what we did in those days. We didn't really think about these things too oh much. Oh, God. But, I was so, that annoying fan at the, at the front. <laughs> yeah, you were the, you were the passionate uh, passionate one at the front who never, it was always shouting and wanted it to... Uh, to make yourself heard, and um, but but, but it's, it's really good to see people like that as well because that just sort of showcased people's passion for music. And I, 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 from getting to know you as well as I do over the last fifteen years or so, I know that um, you're someone who has a huge amount of passion for the music. Um, so can you talk us through how you actually got into music in the first place? Yeah, I suppose like when I was grown, I suppose when I was like about 14 or 15, like my brother Blue had like Dex, but he was like a normal DJ. But he'd always have like Sasha and Dickweed on and I was like, oh, what's that? You know, and then kind of was loving all the progressive stuff. But then I think growing up in that brigand, like, you know, everyone was going to like God's Kitchen. So I went to my first God's Kitchen when I was 15 and like I remember getting on the bus and everyone was like, you should not be here. You know, I had a, a girl's um, 
ID that I used to work with and she gave me her college ID like we never even looked anything we just had dark hair and I got into the, the point echo and I started going kind of from from there I went to the first God's Kitchen I think it was 19th of October 2002 <laughs> and it was like Scott Project Ricky F Paul like you were probably there of course it was there yeah, yeah I still yeah. have some photos from that night actually they're uh, very yeah. very entertaining photos yeah it was amazing <laughs> I remember it well Not sure. thank it well. god there was no iPhones back oh, then no. we'd all be in trouble but um, I think then kind of following on from, from all those sorts of gig, like, gigs I went to to the red box but sorry before that um when I was 15 I said to my dad I said look I want a set of decks for Christmas so we went down to this shop in Andrada and I remember there was a guy behind the counter and he was like they're for you I says yeah and he says you're a girl I says exactly why I want them now like so you know I think there was a bit of rebellion after <laughs> after that like I was like and my dad was like are you sure you want them and I was like absolutely now so after that then I think that always stuck with me because it was like what do you want them for but following on from that then I had you know the Newmark TT1600 Bell Drives and the you know I started going into Abbey Discs when I was you know, 16, 17 buying all the, the records from you know do you remember Billy so I used to go, I was doing bagpacking in Super Value, which is a supermarket uh, locally, and all the wages went on buying some records every week. So then, you know, where, where do you start? There was the whole gig about the neighbours. <laughs> That's a very long story, but fill us, for, in, on, for, fill us in on your <laughs> your altercations with your neighbours, which led to the, uh, the guardy being or the, the police being involved. <laughs> So I think when I was around 16, 17, um, you know, there was one occasion where I was playing music kind of late at night and the neighbour came in and I was like, oh, look, sorry, you know, it, it was loud. And he kind of got really angry with me. And my dad didn't like that then. He says, like, you know, don't speak to my daughter like that. But then kind of ever since that, you know, sometimes it wasn't about the music. I could have MTV on. And like the guards were down. So my dad got taken to court when for it was like environmental pollution. And then, you know, the outcome of that court case was that I had to turn my music down or off or whatever. And then, you know, I started to like mix in my headphones, but you know, there it just it just went on until for another two years. And then, you know, the the, the guard were a regular down at my house and one time, like, I think the next court case was that we had a guard as a witness for us saying, like, as I approached the house, the music was, like, not audible. And the young girl had, like, MTV on. But then another guard had pinned down and said the windows were open, but I could hear the music. Well, it just became an annoyance thing, like, going over the years. You know, there was food thrown over the wall. There was, like, grease splashing the windows. It was just, it was, it was gone past what it was about like really so you know there was a, a bit of a battle back and forth back and forth and then I think the final court case was my dad got threatened with a week in jail if my music is not turned down 
So at that point, we ended up like selling our house and we were going to move up to where you live or was, you know, your old estate. So we put a deposit on the house up there and then kind of when push came to shove, we were like, I was like, Dad, I don't think we can move. And he said, no, fuck it, we won't move. <laughs> so then after that, you know, like my dad still is there today. I've obviously moved out, but, you know, I think that kind of like stopped me from playing music a little bit, you know, I stopped playing the decks, but you know, it was still in me, but it was like, oh, I can't do this anymore. So, you know, I always learned how to mix in my headphones and then following on from that, I was 21 and I went to do a season in Ibiza in 2008, just pure like party season. And then after I came home, I was like, no, I really need to be a DJ now. Like, so the year after that, I brought my decks over to um, Ibiza and the first night I remember one of the girls said right you're playing in tropics let's go and then like more or less every night after that I for the whole summer <laughs> I played in tropics so you know that's how it all kicked off really but it was you know I think as well with the whole neighbour thing like I'm kind of glad it happened because you know it goes back to that like I was a bit of a rebellious person and like I remember then you know when I was starting to get really good gigs I loved walking out of my house with my suitcase and the wheels bashing off the pavement. I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a, a longer story than that, but that's the gist of it, I guess. Yeah, I had something very similar there with, with a neighbour, with a noise complaint in, in our old, in the, the, the old house that we were in. Um, just in, I was obviously at my studio was in, I lived in a duplex, but I, the studio yeah. was upstairs. You remember my old little studio, but yeah. One day I got a knock on the door and it was two co- uh, coppers at the door and go, they just said, hey, we've had complaints about uh, the noise here. And I just <laughs> said, well, that's uh, there's no restrictions on noise during the day. Um, this is my work. This is my job. There's, no, there's yeah. not much you can do. And he said, yeah, we know that, but we just have to come up to, to sort of inform you. And I knew I knew it was the next door neighbour because she was an absolute yeah. weapon. She was a weapon, yeah. absolute uh. weapon. She thought she uh, she owned the road. Like she, she it was like, I remember one time he came home, and there was this absolute banger of a van right at the bottom of our steps blocking the thing. And it was like it was a broken down van. She left at the bottom of the stairs, and she was at the top of the stairs and go, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah. She's there, oh, I need to leave it here. I need to leave it here. And I was like get rid of that fucking van or I'm ringing the guards but I probably didn't say that but get rid of that fucking thing now it's an eyesore but then an eyesore yeah but then about about three weeks later um, there was another knock on the door and it was the next door neighbour and she was there uh, oh, turn down the music turn down the music and I was like I was upstairs folding clothes while Edel was doing the iron and I was folding the clothes with her and she goes, turn down the music, turn down the music. I was like, what the fuck are you on about? There's no music on. I'm up here folding clothes. Re- turn down the music. I can't deal with this anymore. T- I was like, don't talk to me again. Fuck off. I'm never speaking to you ever again. So t- t- I thankfully um, didn't really see her again because she moved out of the area. I haven't seen her since. But um, yeah, it's a very similar story. And, and coming back to, to what you were saying as well, to the way you were working, in super value packing bags uh, around that time, I was probably a couple of obviously I'm a couple of years older than you, but I was working as a cleaner up in, in Intel, and like that's how I got money to, to go into Abbey Discs and to buy records and and all that type of stuff. So that's it, it like I didn't care how I earned the money; I just needed to be able to go out to clubs and enjoy myself and to be able to 
buy records and improve as a DJ. So it's, it's quite a similar uh, story for the two of us in that sense, you know? Uh, like, it, you know, I think I like I wasn't I wasn't that good on the vinyl, but I just love the physical, you know, like vinyl and having that like was like, oh, I loved it. I always remember like Billy was like, oh, get them for the girl, the girl, the girl being on Saturday to collect them. <laughs> yeah, you felt like yeah. a superstar because he saw he, he, oh, knew, yeah. he knew my name. I felt like it was a superstar walking in because at that time I was like, I had some like shows on. On, on pirate radio and uh, energy and kiss fm and stuff and obviously being that young walking in thinking you were great because because billy knew your name but then i actually yeah. realized that i'm on radio so actually no one has a clue who i actually <laughs> am you know yeah, yeah. Oh, good time good it time wasn't, it was indeed and then obviously um you spent a number of uh, summers in ibiza uh but what, what was the first year that you went over there so i did 2008 and to be honest like I was just so uneducated. Like I was paying, you know, the way like you work there. So like you get your passes and stuff like absolutely hadn't got a clue. Like I was paying into amnesia every week and all. I I got like a loan out of the credit union and then I had money for my 21st. So I had like seven grand going and I absolutely had like a ball. I didn't work one day in my life (laughs) over there. Like not a day. I think, it was the year after then I got a job in like Joe Spoons and it was like a day shift. So it was like three till seven, four hours every day. And like, it was so, it was really ideal because then like you have, you have to get up and then you have your few hours kind of in between like the sunset and stuff. And then you go back, get your dinner, get ready and then get the, get the CDs down to choppies. And then I started playing in like, a residency for um in play two for freaking divines night so you know that was the the routine but it was, it was brilliant like yeah really, i remember really those those well I, I don't remember those nights well but i do remember those nights <laughs> well if that makes sense yeah definitely yeah, yeah uh, it, it was brilliant like you know like it's so sad that like trophy is gone and you know but but look i'm so grateful that I got to do the seasons when I did, like I did 2008, 2009, 2010. And it was just trans heaven. You know, you'd have your Tiesto gigs on the Friday night, or sorry, Monday night in Privilege. It would be Armada on Tuesday, break Wednesday, Cream Thursday, Charlie's Angels, or play to the Friday. Or I think like there was a Pitong night on. Then Saturday, break, Sunday, Judgment Sundays, repeat. <laughs> Yeah, it was just yeah. maybe like a Saturday night you'd be down the West End just getting yeah. hammered and then tropies with Oscar and stuff like that. Yeah, they were good yeah. times. They were great times. I honestly, yeah. I don't think Ibiza will ever be like that no. uh, ever again. I think the idea behind the people who are sort of running it now is they want to get away from that sort of image, That that's the boozy image of like the West End they want to sort of move away from that to more like five star resorts and stuff but yeah at least we can say we were there when um when the when the times were good yeah absolutely and just even like getting to play at Cream Amnesia like that was always like that's everyone's DJ like pinnacle so I'm I'm so glad I got to do that as well like because I think had you you know had you nearly been there and then it closes or it moved, it moved to that year like and you didn't get to do it like I would have been heartbroken 
Yeah, because that that night where I played the closing set in 2016, we were to- we were told that that was going to be the final night ever at Cream. So I was sort of, I don't know, was, was that the closing party or was that? No, it was 2017, I think. So Yeah, that was, that, but the year before in 2016, that that set where we were all staying in the villa, remember we all had, the, were you over at that in the 8th of September, I think it was? I don't know if were you were there. Yeah, no, I was Yeah, you there, were yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The one where we were all staying in the villa um, up in the hills of San Antonio, that night we were told in advance that that could have been the last time that Cream was ever, well, it would yeah. have been the last time we were ever at Cream. I know there might have been a couple of parties after that, but that that meant I had to had to do something special for, for that set. Yeah. So like, I just remember that was, that was probably the best night I've ever had in Ibiza that in 2016. It was unbelievable. Because remember, we, did you come to Foreman Terra then the next day? No, I think I had like three gigs the next day. Do you remember that? I had like a, I had like a boat party in the morning, a beach party in the day, and then a, a, a club gig at night time. So I, I think it was straight after cream. So I didn't go to Formatera. I was like a yo-yo gone back. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah. um, it was an experience to say the least making our way over to like, beat it, after being up from the night before all yeah. that type of stuff but uh, yeah it was it was an amazing time but as you said th- like there's not a lot of people who can say they played at Cream at Amnesia it's, no. it, there's not a lot of people at all so t- for someone like yourself to go from someone who was a dedicated clubber to, to, to switch sides from the dance floor to the other side of the decks is a massive achievement because you think about the amount of people that we know who've been interested in DJing or, or love the music and but they never are able to take that next step so for someone like yourself to be able to do that you're in a very rare company so it's something that you should be very proud of at the same time oh, Thank you Brian No, no you know it is like I love it I really do like I don't really remember a defining point of when I did make that kind of switch but I suppose I always look at myself as a clover on the decks you know because like I enjoy it as much as the clovers do you know what I mean so yeah you can see that from when you're playing and that yeah. uh, you, you do be absolutely loving it it's, it's always good to see it's good to see that sometimes I, I feel like I've sort of been doing this a little bit too long and I find it yeah. hard to get as enthusiastic as I might have been in my younger years but I, I really do tend to enjoy most of my sets I think I said it in the podcast with Fergie I just need yeah. to let my face know that I'm actually enjoying <laughs> it but uh, I, I'm just I, I'm very concentrated when I'm playing as well I'm thinking about the next set and like um, I played in Belfast the five hour set a couple of weeks ago and I was just looking back at the video and I just look so serious at times during <laughs> it but Inside your yeah, enjoyment. I know I was, but but you need to understand. Like I'm playing for five hours. Um, there's no one else playing. There's no one else coming on uh, after me. I have to be careful with what I drink in case I drink too yeah. much too soon and I, I'm not concentrating properly. Then at the same time, I have to sort of be thinking ahead what I'm going to be playing, what I'm going to be playing, and then it's 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 a very mentally exhausting thing to play for that long and to be performing and to like I only really sort of properly got into it in probably the last 90 minutes where I felt like I could properly let go and I go right 90 minutes left I can let it go I can have a little bit more of a drink now I can let loose and really enjoy it um but 
for you anytime you're playing it's like you, there's 10 minutes left in your set all the time so you're just going to enjoy yourself and let go <laughs> every single time I but know <laughs> coming, just coming back to something you said at the start when you were buying your first set of decks it was something I wanted to ask you about being a female in the dance scene which which is predominantly or has been seen as sort of a, a male sort of dominated um environment how how have you found that especially obviously now it might be a little bit different that you're more more established and you're more well known and you have more of a, a following and stuff but how did you find that at the beginning in terms of trying to break into to a scene i suppose like you know i well I suppose like I didn't really look at it from the female thing like you know I just take it in my stride as I was like a, a DJ going but you know I suppose I was always like I've treated all the brothers you know I was like I was always around like males you know so I think I always had a bit more of a like, like I suppose a bit more <laughs> fire in me but um I think like Sometimes it was definitely like a challenge because I went to play, I went up to like step onto the decks before, I think it was a game in Belfast. I can't remember where it was. And he was like, what are you doing here? I was like, I'm DJing. And he asked for my ID getting onto the decks. And, you know, there was just so many situations where I was like, oh, come on. And even like more recent enough, um, I was walking up to the backstage with Mark and he taught Marcus playing, you know, so there is just, I suppose, like, there's been, like, those types of situations. Um, but look, I think sometimes I just use it to make me a bit stronger. You know, I, I suppose, like, why isn't there more females in the scene? I, I don't really know. Like, I, I think, you know, it's a bit of a, a, a volatile scene, you know, and, like, it's, it's a tough one to crack. Like, I still don't feel that I really cracked it yet. You know, I think in 2020, it was all like all systems go. Like I had like gigs lined up every, nearly every few weeks. And then I was saying to like Neil for Music First, I was like, you know, this could be the year, you know, but um, it, it all obviously fell asunder with, with the with lockdowns and COVID. So, you know, I keep trying, you know, I'm, I'm, Again, I think the passion gets me going, you know, keeps me, keeps me going through it all. Like, so, yeah, I, I don't really, I don't know if I really answered that, but. Oh, you did, you did, yeah. It's, it's just, it's like, there probably is, there, all, there always would be a sort of, maybe it would be like an unconscious sort of thing where people, it like established people in the scene would probably have a little bit more of a, not that they'd look down to it's. I don't want to sound rude, but like they mightn't take them as seriously as a male counterpart, if you if you know what I mean. But it, it, like this is mainly in the trance scene. You you look at like um, the like the techno is booming. Yeah, like, like Charlotte DeVitt, Amelie Lenz, um, Nina Kravitz, and stuff. They're they're at the top of their absolute game. Yeah, and I've I've even seen it myself uh, during during the pandemic and stuff. Certain producers and DJs sort of bad melting them and stuff online. Yeah, I've like, seen that as well. Yeah, you see that as well. Like that's, but that's just that's just fucking jealousy about where they are, their own current situation. They should just concentrate on their own careers and like just because other people are more successful than they are. That's it's that's. That's that's not that's your issue. That's not their issue. So like they just need to shut the fuck up, really. Yeah. But, um, 
like, like it I is. definitely get my daily stick or not daily stick but I've definitely had a lot of stick in the past you know like yo you're a girl you can't mix blah 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 but I always remember I don't know if you remember what you said to me before but you said to me you look like a girl but play like a bloke <laughs> do you remember oh, that <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I was like oh look you know I do I probably do a subconscious subconsciously or I'll probably like just block it out I, I suppose like I I never really wanted to play on the female card you know but then because you kind of get pigeonholed like I don't want to be in a genre of females but then sometimes it is quite empowering as well you know I can look at it so I am probably one of a handful of girls that are in the trans scene you know so it is quite a good thing that comment about playing like a bloke but looking like a girl that was something I probably said years ago it'd probably be something you couldn't even say now you know oh yeah Jesus sorry disclaimer we don't want to we don't want to it was meant as a compliment and I'm sure people yeah. people will see that but as you said but like it, it, it is it is important that like more it's, don't be bringing um genders into it but it is very important for there to be more of a female sort of what would the word be there needs to be more females in the scene playing at shows doing really well I see there's a girl now Amy Wiles that she's involved with oh the Injuna yeah yeah. that's good to see there needs to be more because you need to understand that people that go clumming like I wouldn't say I'd say it's probably maybe 60-40 in terms like from what I can see, that to be probably in terms of the trans gigs, there would be slightly more males than, than females at the show. But people, the girls that who are like who love the music, they need to have someone to look up to that, yeah. that you know, that they can relate to and at least they think, right, if they can do it, I can do it. And yeah, there needs to be more of that, you know. Yeah, like I definitely looked up to like Sophie Sugar back in the day, like she was playing at all the big ASOS, and you know, I loved her sound. And you know she's she's gone now. She hasn't done anything. So you know I don't have like a a, a trans like idol who's a female. Do you know what I mean? Well, like these are my idols. <laughs> you know, it's it's John and Brian and Giuseppe. You know, so so that's just the way it is. I suppose like back in the day it was Lisa Lattice. You know, she was like. She was the girl hero. And I suppose that's probably who I did look up to when I was starting off. But a totally different genre. Like, you know, it was Hard House. I did play a bit of Hard House back in the day, you know. Um, So, yeah, I suppose it it is good to have like a a female role model if you were thinking about getting into it. And you you said that like, obviously... Covid and twenty twenty, it sort of derailed your plans for sort of progressing in your career. Um, you moved to uh, the UK around yeah. this time. How did you find switching from Ireland to the UK in terms of obviously your de- it's a completely different place to live in terms of how it changed your life? Did did, did it have? Did you find it a much different place to Ireland in terms of living there? I suppose. Um I moved, it was, it was actually at the end of April, 2019. Um, and I think I moved and like, I, I also have my normal day job for a lot of people don't know that I, they think I just do music full time, but I do have a full time job. So my, my boss let me take my job remote and you know, that was all well and good, but I think I was doing 
the homework and before homework and was a thing. So I definitely struggled with, with that side of it, you know, just being on my own. I was sitting at home on my own or, you know, and then then COVID kicked in. So, you know, I didn't really get to like venture out and make my own groups of friends locally. So I suppose like it was it was good. Like I really enjoyed it. It was a lovely part of the world. But I definitely appreciated it a lot more in lockdown because there's lovely places to like walk and you know, it was a lot of like um there's a lot of like peaks, hills, like like lakes, rivers, you know, lovely, lovely part of the world. So I think it that it was a hard transition because we were stuck in a two bed apartment for the whole of lockdown, no garden. And look, I suppose, you know, happy that I had a, a place to live, but I was also very privileged that we, you know, I had a job through lockdown, continued to work. So kind of wanted to use that to our advantage and save. So we, we bought a new house then last year. Sorry, I'm so mixed up with my years, 22. Yeah, so we moved into a new house last year. So I definitely think maybe last year I settled a lot more. But I think Ireland versus England, look, I love, love Ireland, you know. But I think England, like, to buy a house here is a lot easier. Car insurance and, like, tax. Like, I remember I was paying, like, oh, my God. It was, like, it was, I think it was, like, no, sorry, the insurance. I was paying, like, 90 euros direct out of every month. And I rang up in April. I said, oh, how much is it to get my car? <laughs> and she said, car insured on a monthly policy. And she said, £65. And I go, a month? And she goes, no, just do it the rest of the year. I was like, oh my God, I've never gone home for that reason alone. So I think Ireland is daylight robbery for, for that sort of stuff. I think it's a better quality of living, I suppose. And obviously with the whole housing crisis going on in Ireland, you know, they don't make it easy for like, you know, their turkey somethings or even late 20s. You know, it's it's just the norm in Ireland that you don't move out until like your mid-30s. Yeah, Adele was telling me she saw a thing uh, around around where we live, uh, a one-bedroom sort of bed sit, and it's €1,200 Euro a month. Fuck. Fucking. Like, Ireland, it's 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 an absolute scandal yeah. of a country. Like, I've been looking to get, uh, well, up, get a, not get a new car, but I'm looking to get a specific car, and I've been looking for the last year. And I'd be looking on like Auto Trader over in the UK, and if I wanted to get a car like I'm looking for, get it no problem, nice spec, decent, decent. It'd probably be about like fifteen grand cheaper than here, and, crazy, and I can't, I can't get it here because the Brexit has like really, um, all the cars used to come in, price, used to come, yeah. used to come from the UK. Now you can't bring them in. So like, say if you buy a car from the UK for say twenty grand, and if you want to bring it into Ireland now. It'll cost you about sixteen thousand euro because of all the extra taxes and VRT and stuff. Should we pay tax on tax on cars in Ireland? VR like we already paid. Was it VRT. like three grand or something before this? So yeah. if you brought a car from the UK, you have yeah. to pay like. But yeah. now there's like emissions charges and you have to pay VAT and you have to pay customs duty. So it's 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 this country. Yeah. I swear to God, it drives me fucking nuts. <laughs> Well, pri- England is always I know. just across the world. I've, I've been to, we've talked about it. 
yeah. how bad it's been here in the last two years in terms of restrictions and just even when we went over for cream fields like being able to walk into a shop not wearing a mask and all that stuff and nobody says anything to you like even we were over in Newcastle for the Good Grief gig last month hotel you're staying in no one wearing masks nobody looking down on you if you don't want to wear one walk into the restaurant nobody's wearing one everyone's just the COVID police aren't out giving out to you and giving the idiots and all that shit. That's yeah. the society I want to live in. I don't want to live in yeah. with the fucking COVID-phobes or whatever their names are that are afraid of everything and <laughs> shitting themselves all the time. I don't want to live in a place like that. So nah, we, we actually did talk about, yeah. look, we're, we're going to have to get out of here. I can't live in Ireland anymore, but maybe the news here today is, <laughs> is yeah. an indication oh, look, that things will be Just see right how it goes. Yeah, yeah sit tight. Yeah. But um, in in terms of um, the pan- the pandemic, what what was the when obviously when it started, everyone was afraid. What was your situation um, when when it began, and what what were the the major things that sort of happened throughout? We we'll go back to twenty twenty, maybe. What okay, were the, yeah. the major things that obviously we started at the beginning and then work our way through? Because I know that you've gone through a lot of sort of serious <laughs> life experiences. I in the have, last few yeah. Years, yeah. Well, I think, you know, during, I suppose, like 2020, the start of it, you know, it all started well. We were at John's wedding. We were, we were gearing up for a nice year. And then I think, you know, March, March, April, May, you know, it was kind of like, oh, like, this is new, you know, I, like, I'm just going to go into like gym and health mode. You know, I, I got myself a cross trainer and like, we we're getting out for walks, you know, focusing on the health I know I was cooking like a mad woman like that's all I really could do and then you know I was obviously doing a few streams here and there but stick about now at this moment but um, in July 2020 you know we went back to Ireland for the first time then and we got engaged so I suppose there was a good few like positives that came out of 2020 and then in August 2020, you know, I broke the rules because my ma wasn't well, you know, she was struggling a little bit, you know, she she got some news that it mightn't be good news with her um, her liver. So my ma is an alcoholic, as you know, but she, um, she, she was struggling for a bit, but I just said, you know what, I'm going to break the rules. It was her birthday. <laughs> Fuck the Irish government. Um, I travelled back and, you know, I had her last birthday with her. And I'm, I'm so glad that I did because, you know, a lot of people didn't get that and whatever. I probably shouldn't have did it, but I did. I just had to do what was right for me at the time. And I think then in, was it? yeah, it was September then, you know, I got a phone call and I'm my mom's next of kin. So they rang me when I was in England and it was the home health and they were like, look, she, she's not well, you know? So I had to try and call an ambulance for over here, but didn't I get through to the 999 here? And I had her in a daughter. So, you know, I was like, look, you have to go in, you know, she didn't want to. And she goes, if I go in, I'm not coming out. You know, I think she knew, but I was like, look, you know, then I think a week after she had went in, you know, I was ringing her every day and now she was answering. But again, no one could go into the hospitals. So she didn't see anyone for like a whole week, I suppose. And then after that, then, you know, I got the call. It was like, look, it's not good. And, you know, 
you travel, Brian, you know that getting the call when you're away, it's like, oh my God, like get me home quick. So, you know, the flights were very, you know, Ryanair to Bristol flight is like usually very, like Dublin to Bristol is very like regular, but there was only one flight a day. So I had to wait the next, to, until the next day then to get home. And then, you know, we were waiting on the news, but the whole week went by and nothing was really happening. But um, they'd let me in on the Sunday a week following that. And I got in for like 15 minutes, but she was kind of like, you know, the machines were just keeping her alive. And then after it was the following day, um, you know, they turned off the machines and she sadly passed away. But I think I'm so glad that it was, it was at the time where, you know, we were let, allowed to go into a room separate and we got to say our goodbyes, you know, to the very last minute. But I really, I think that gives me a lot of peace because I know a lot of people didn't get to do that. And then I think even, you know, breaking the rules and going back for the birthday, like that was my last kind of time where she was like happy and having fun and having a drink and stuff. So, you know, that was, that was really like, it was a probably, you know, it was the most difficult thing ever. And then I remember you said to me, you, you said to me like, it's not going to hit you until a few months. But then in December 2020, I almost lost my brother. So he had a massive stroke. And then, like, I think I was like, oh, no, this, this, this can't be like, you know, what, what, what next? So he, he was kind of, you know, like, thankfully he didn't lose any movements and stuff, but he was in the hospital. And then they were, it turns out like 90% of his main artery was blocked on the right side. And he said like he was waiting to get the surgery and then he got COVID in the hospital. So two weeks isolation down to the high dependency unit. Well, he was actually okay, but he had to go in like isolation on his own two weeks. You know, he was a ticking time bomb and he knew that he needed that surgery. So then they come up to him and they said, like, look, we're going to have to send you home. COVID, we can't do the surgery. And then with that, he had another massive, like, stroke with the stress over here in that news. And they had no, like, option whether to, they had to do the surgery. So then they did the surgery. Thankfully, like, he's 100% now. But mother of God, it was a hard end to the year. Like, that was in December. So he literally went in, I think it was the 2nd of December. And he got out on Christmas Eve. So I think, you know, I was still trying to like do the grieving for my ma. But then, you know, then 20, then Donald, my brother, that all happened. But like, it just was like, oh, bloody hell, you know. So I think even like going into 2021, it was like the hangover of 2020, you know, I was still dealing with all that stuff. But bloody hell like it it was definitely a real challenge in that sense and I suppose like now I kind of measure my stress levels on oh Donald being in hospital with a stroke stress you know what I mean so it it was definitely oh god it was like give me a break here but but yeah but look I think you know you become you become quite strong I think you know you learn to deal with these things kind of head on like so yeah, it was a, definitely a, a challenge, I would say. 
First of all, you don't need to feel like you broke the rules or anything like that. Like the, the, those fuckers that in, involved in the top of <laughs> oh, know, are doing yeah. the same thing. So f- yeah. don't ever feel any guilt because you came back to to, to Ireland to, to say goodbye. I to don't your, know though. I and, like, definitely don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's. Don't worry about that. Like that's. They're moments that you can't miss because it was a similar thing when my dad was sick in hospital and he was on his in his final days. Like I was, I, I spoke with it with Snyder already, so I, yeah. I was in America and I had to I had to fly back yeah. and then I, I was in hospital for five days waiting for him to pass and he did and I know myself how how um, how difficult it was and the, the, like it's my dad's anniversary actually tomorrow and I can't believe uh-huh. it's six it's six years and. Six years. Yeah, it's, it's mental, but um, I, I, I feel now, obviously, there's various stages of grief and I, I've sort of moved through them all. I'm in a yeah. I'm in a pretty decent place with regards to my dad passing away now. I can talk about it. Um, I don't really have any sort of bad sort of... It doesn't really make me sad anymore. You know, I, yeah. I've sort of accepted it and, and moved on, but... I, I, I probably can understand that you're probably in a, a sort of a different um, stage of that at the moment because I, I think I was talking to you around when it happened and I sort of said to you for the first six months you'll sort of be numb where you, you sort of feel okay and then you're you're trying to think like why am I actually feeling not too sad here because yeah, that's how yeah. I felt and I just remember that it was about six months after he passed away and it was like Father's Day and it was sort of the first time that I sort of started seeing the cards everywhere and just stuff about yeah. everywhere and I got really upset and and then the, the most difficult part for me was the, the one year anniversary. That's when it sort of really sort of hit me hard and I went into a, a very, very sort of dark place trying to make sense of it and to sort of, how do I sort of like get through my days without yeah. feeling so low because losing it, I don't want to say losing a parent because uh, death and passing, it, it's a natural, ev- it's part of evolution. It's going to happen to every single person on the planet. Um, I haven't lost him. He's still in here and he's still yeah, in here yeah. and, and that can never be taken away and it's the same for you and it's the same for, for, for everyone else but that, like 12 months on from when it happened, that was very, 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 very difficult Um because it, it, this was at a time when I was spending a lot of time by myself. I was at home yeah. working with myself. Every day I was in work, so I'd, I'd no sort of distractions. I was just left at home with myself all day, all day, every day. So coming back to yourself, I, I don't want to go on too much about myself, but uh, where, where do you feel you are now in terms of the grief part of your your mother passing away? I think, you know, maybe during 2021 there was a lot of like stuff bubbling at the surface and it was around September 2021 it, I think it was it was that planet love and you know I went I had a great set but then you know I, it was a one-year anniversary and I got really really drunk after and it was kind of like the drunk where I'm like oh that wasn't fun you know it was like more like shame and you know guilt so I suppose in like, I don't really mind t- telling people this, but I proactively then went to therapy just to kind of, you know, acknowledge like some of the feelings that I was feeling and probably going back and doing a little bit of digging into like, you know, the hard feelings. So I did it for about five weeks. And honestly, Brian, it was the best thing I could have ever done because 
you know, it, it was an uncomfortable few weeks, you know, going back doing doing the work, as they say. But I suppose I'm so glad that I did it. Like, I wouldn't say that, like, something, you know, I left it really, like, I went downhill or anything. It was more of a proactive measure. And I would suggest, like, to any of your followers or listeners, like, like you don't need to be, like, down and out to do it. You know, if you feel there's something there, you want to acknowledge it. Like, just take the plunge, you know, reach out, try and get a little bit of help. But I suppose for me, you know, it was just more dealing with the, like, I suppose I was like, I just want to make sure that I'm doing this grief thing well, you know, because I think it's, there were so many different emotions, you know, that was, you know, coming up. But then there'd be days where I'd just be okay. I mean, you know, I'm a very happy-go-lucky person. And I think, I was like, well, why haven't I like that all the time? And I know that's just life, but, you know, there was a few things that I just wanted to address. And honestly, it was the best thing that I could have done. I think the end, the end of last year was really, you know, I felt like I was really ending on a high, you know. So now I think, I think I'm okay, but I watched Afterlife the other day and I mean, oh my God, like, I think that was very triggering for me. So there is some things that, you know, I'd hear a song and I would be like, I have these like big like outbursts of cries, but I'm like, oh Jesus, I need that. You know what I mean? So it does be in, but then it comes out and I feel a lot lighter for it. So I don't I can't really say what what's like definitely the acceptance, but you know, I think it's just one of them things it'll probably hit you at different stages, you know. Mother's Day, one year and two year anniversary coming up the birthdays, you know. So I suppose even Christmas, my mom loved Christmas. So I think I just had a little like moment, you know, I'll always remember and have a little like light candle or whatever. So yeah. Yeah, you're dead right about afterlife. We watched that at the weekend. Oh. Where it was the, the, I was I was pretty disappointed with like I, I knew I know what Ricky Gervais does. He sort of he's done it with like other programs as well where like he saves it all for the for the for the last episode. Yeah. I was I was lying, I was sitting there in bits, tears yeah. flowing out. Me, it was the, the kids with the cancer, and then like oh, speaking God. about like the, the angels being dogs, and then like Harvey was just sitting on the ground. I was like, I was like looking this way, and he like that, moving my hand yeah. over my face. But yeah, it's um, yeah, you're dead right. It was just if I found I found that that sort of trick. I remember the first couple of episodes of Afterlife were exactly the same. It was, yeah. it was it, it's it's just it, it hits a nerve because like losing a parent is the most I'm using the word losing, but your parent passing away yeah. is the, one of the most traumatic things that anyone will ever go through because they're the person that brought you up. They brought you into the world. They, worked hard to put you through school to bring you up to be a good person all that stuff and then they're just gone you know it's 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 very difficult to live with and I, I just when you were talking there about certain things coming on the radio or uh, songs yeah. or something I remember when the night that my dad did pass and uh, we drove home and obviously I was sitting there cutting it's hard to comprehend what was after happening, but I had to drive home to to get some sleep or whatever because it was after being awake for four or five yeah. days. I hadn't been home, but I remember just just as I pulled into my estate, a song coming on the radio, and it was the it's called "The Living Years" by Mike and the Mechanics, and the, the song is all about uh, him not telling his dad how he felt 
yeah. like when he was alive and that was the song that came on as I arrived back to my house there could have been any song that came on any radio station at any time but that was the song that came home as I as I drove home from the hospital after me dad passed it was mental I'd say you heard every word of it yeah yeah but it was just yeah. it was just like like you, you, you do question whether it's like believing in God or I don't know whether I believe in God but I believe that there's just there's too many things that go on in the world for there not to be something spiritual going on. I, I don't believe in like organized religion or certain things like that, but I, I would be very spiritual. So it was just for something like that to happen. Yeah. It was like this, that's, that's fucked up, you know, it was, yeah. it was, it was so, something like that happened when my ma passed my brother's alarm and thought for him to get up for work at the very minute. And we were just like, whoa, that's so weird. It was like, you know, his alarm, like for work every day. <laughs> and it was just like, oh my God, that is just, it was crazy. Yeah. They, like some, when things happen like that, you're like, oh, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Crazy. Some people would say it's just a coincidence, but f- stuff like that. I like to believe that, uh, it's better. Like believe the universe is at work. <laughs> yeah. But like you were saying there, um, about going to therapy and stuff like that that's a very commendable thing that's something I've never really done I've sort of just tried to it's probably something that I, I probably could have done at various stages I probably I definitely would have needed it at certain stages but I sort of always see myself as my own problem and my own solution and, and I like to do things by myself and I know that's probably yeah. a, a sort of a selfish sort of thing to say but I, I, I like to sort of um read and learn and look into things and trying to trying to figure it out myself and what I've done and what you what, what you were describing by going to therapy and speaking about those type of things is to be comfortable with with the uncomfortable is to be able to speak about stuff that you find difficult to speak about but for me a similar thing would be meditation when you meditate you're sitting there and you're learning how to be comfortable with uncomfortable thoughts and feelings and and stuff like that and I, I've got into it a lot more in the last year I've, I've done it like consecutively every single day for like the last nine months and it's quite similar to what you said that you found it like those first five weeks where you were sort of acknowledging all these um, troubling uh, worrying things that you hadn't dealt with but once you acknowledged them and you sort of let them be and you sort of let them go you felt a lot better and it's quite similar for me where that I, I stuck with the meditation, even though it was like scary and there was stuff coming up and it was, and I, but I worked my way through it. It was like, I was taking the scenic route instead of just yeah. like not, not acknowledging it. So it was all coming up, but then I just felt better and better and better and better and better as, as time went on. And because you're just, it's like when you're meditating, it's like you're clearing out your system. It's like you're refreshing yourself. And and therapy is is a similar sort of thing. Meditation is a form of therapy. It's just something that you can do by yourself at, at any time. Yeah. So I, I found that very beneficial. And I'm, I'm happy to hear that it has helped you. So do you feel now at the beginning of 2022, how do you feel you're, where you are in terms of your mindset? And where do you feel, how do you feel you are now? Like, I feel great, like, with you, with that, like, I do meditation, I go to the gym, I do my gratitude journal, so I do have a lot of, like, tools, you know, that if if I am feeling, like, down now, you know, I can 
quickly well I suppose some sometimes some days are quicker than the other but I can turn it around like I always I have my nice morning routine where I would get up you know I journal I have a cup of coffee I hydrate meditate and then um I suppose then you know kick off the day I started going to the gym in the mornings now and it's really I think like that's my preferred time for working out you know you have all the endorphins going around your body like and it's just much better because I was more of an evening trainer so it's just it's really really made a difference so I think that would be my kind of thing now going forward but I suppose mentally like I'm I'm, I'm great I'm really excited for the year you know I feel like I've definitely put like the last year or two behind me now I just want to look forward you know, get excited for the gigs. I prefer to get excited for the gigs than not at all because I think, like I was on the fence, I don't know, like, oh, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? But I'd rather get excited for them now and be let down rather than not get excited at all. So that's just the way I suppose <laughs> I'm looking at it now. All right, so we've we've sort of gone deep into the the, <laughs> the bad things that have happened. Let's leave that behind. We've acknowledged yeah. it. Uh, yeah. we've accepted it and we move on to something more, something more positive now obviously yeah. you've got you've also got engaged in the last yeah. Uh, yeah. couple of years now I know Mark Mark is an absolute gentleman and I remember you were saying that um, the, the planet love thing and you were really upset like I've been in exactly the same place yeah. where like you just you, you get too hammered and like I've been there exactly the same and it was for exactly the same reason that you had but I remember how supportive Mark of what was of you that night, and how he looked after you. And I think he went back and you, you left your things on the <laughs> I left stage. My bag. I'm, not, I'm, I'm not trying to embarrass you here. I'm just I'm tr- oh, what I'm shit, trying to Brian. do. Is, I'm, I'm trying to just showcase how yeah. much he I, he obviously cares for you, oh, and how much of a gem he is. You know how, how was the how was your engagement been so far? The engagement has been great, but like to be honest, like. I don't know when a wedding will be because I couldn't think of anything worse than planning a wedding now in this current climate. So look, I think we were probably just saying, geez, we might just go and do it ourselves and have a party after. Like probably no plans to get married. I think buying the house was P1. You know, it was, we, we wanted to get the house together and then we have a beautiful home. So I think we've been just focusing on decorating the house and stuff and getting like that's where the finances are going and you know maybe in a few years time we'll, we'll look at having a wedding or something but it's at the back back of my mind for for, for now yeah i i didn't really have much to do with the organization of it now our wedding to be honest but i, I do know that our wedding the day the day itself was unbelievable um but yeah, at, the, at the same time brilliant. It just it just goes like that. It's it was exactly. it's over and it's so like, much money for like yeah, one whole day. And I just like I know like you know it's every girl's dream, but it's not really mine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I would rather go on and like get an absolute hot honeymoon like for three weeks and have a little one. Now I think before like when it first happened, I had the spreadsheet out. I was like two hundred guests, but I think after the whole lockdown thing, I was like ah. Oh, like I couldn't be bothered, <laughs> you know. But that's not to say I won't get like that right now. No, I think you know like when I see all like the people trying to plan a wedding and cancelling and all that. Like I was like, oh no, and then been restricted to a certain amount of people. 
no, I just said, oh, I can't think of anything worse. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. There's no panic, you know. No real panic to do it yet yeah. anyway. But I do know that it was, it was, it was an unbelievable day the day yeah. we had. But I, I remember that, um, do you think that you'd be nervous ahead of it? No, no. no. No, sure. We, we stood in front of thousands of people. Yeah, no, pressing but, buttons. <laughs> no, but I did. I've never had yeah. nerves. The two things I was nervous about was having to talk about my dad during the speech. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. But like, I I, I would be more intimidated. Um, I I did a best man speech at my my friend's wedding, uh, a year before that. I can honestly say that I was more nervous about speaking in front of twenty people at a wedding in Ibiza than I've ever been for any other gig. Yeah, it's mad. But then at my own wedding, I was there was two things I was nervous about. I was nervous about uh, talking about my dad in, in front of people and breaking down. Yeah. And then I was nervous about the first dance because I can't, I can't fucking dance. And then during the dance, what does Adele do? She turns into fucking Beyonce and starts doing all her moves and leaves me standing there. And I think there's oh. like a video. Of me, what do, what am I supposed to do here? But then everyone just came onto the dance floor and that was over. But. Oh, yeah, it was a great it was, day. It was a great day, yeah. But it's yeah, it's something for you to look forward to. Um, yeah, as you say, and I do, I do yeah. want it. Like uh, you know, when I like, I've been to like like your wedding and how good it was. I do want it, but I just don't know when. <laughs> yeah, no panic, no pressure. Yeah, anyway, no pressure. Yeah, and how did, the house is a marriage. Isn't it? That, <laughs> like, was, that was the next thing. I was going. How did you find moving into a house? How stressful was it? Was because my memories of moving house were. Very, very, very stressful. Yeah. Like, again, like what I said, like, like I class moving house now as a privileged stress. Like, that's what I kept saying. It's a very privileged stress to be able to move house and, you know, have the money and, and do that. Like, that's the way I was looking at it. But in fairness, like, Mark done all the, the emails and the solicitor work. Um, like thank god he did because like it was his apartment like he owned that so he was doing like all the nitty-gritties there so to be honest he did all the kind of that work on the side so he was brilliant so I think the day the moving day was like oh my god I felt like a ton of bricks <laughs> hit, hit me you know it was like down the stairs upstairs downstairs I think there was like oh it was thirty thousand steps that day, but look, it it, it was br- it's brilliant just to be here and have that our own space because during during the lockdown, you know, we really just wanted a garden, like a garden. We were stuck. Like I think my room was my studio, it was my office, and it was my gym, and I was in a box room like sixteen hours a day. Like the walls were caving in on me, and I didn't. Like, it's just something that you deal with, like you put up with because you don't really know any better. But then when I came to the new house, I was like, oh, my God, I just wanted to lie in the carpet and like have space. So it's it's really like I I like didn't think I'd be like I wouldn't say materialistic, but I didn't think that a house could bring me so much joy. Do you know what I mean? And just having our own space together and. You know, there's beautiful trees looking out from a balcony. You know, there's little deers and everything running across the road and ducks, everything. It's just, it's it's really, really made me so much happier. That's good to hear. 
Really good yeah. to hear. It sounds like you're living in a zoo or Jurassic Park or something there, but it sounds of a There's two deers, there's an egger, a duck, there's squirrels. Yeah, it's just all across the road. It'd be lovely now because we moved at the end of October, so I'm really looking forward to having the spring and the summer here. It'd be lovely. What's your plans for the rest? Well, obviously we're at the beginning of 2022, but what's your immediate plans in terms of um, music moving forward? Um... I finished my first vocal track um, that will have a summer release, I think. And then I have another original coming. And then gig-wise, you know, London is coming up in two weeks for Liberation. And then I'm a gig up in Leicester, I think it is. And then Subculture Australia, fingers crossed, that goes ahead. Uh, I'm not convinced about that one yet, but... Fingers, fingers crossed, you know. Um, and then, you know, there's a few, like, in the diary for, like, June, July, you know. So I suppose just take it month by month, see see how it goes. That's all we can do, really. It really is, yeah. Any advice for people trying to get into the DJing world? I'll give the advice that was given to me from your old... Uh, mural manager from fresh um production what was it it was the three p's <laughs> it was production promotion persistence <laughs> and i was like i'll add a few more p's positivity <laughs> as well but yeah i suppose look just just keep going keep at it network um you know just do mixes like be that annoying girl at the front yeah, of the yeah. <laughs> I can only give him from my lived experience, but yeah. And one more thing before we go. Um, I've been informed that you had uh, another idol that has nothing got to do with music. And there's a story behind it from a time when you went to Liverpool for the weekend. <laughs> the Robbie Fowler story. Robbie Fowler story. Yeah. Can you fill us in on your... your Robbie Fowler story, your admiration for him and what exactly happened, please. Uh, Adele was telling old tales here, was she? Got, got this out of her on a walk this morning with the dog, yeah. Oh, God. So it was actually, it was 2009. It was New Year's Day. I think Liverpool were playing Bolton. And it was like, you know, the second coming of Robbie Fowler. He just returned to Liverpool. And I think like for that match, he got on for like seven minutes. But like I spent most of the match running, looking at him running up and down the touchline. So um, it was it was New Year's Day. Everyone was kind of going out, but I was knackered. I was like, no, look, I'm not going. I'm not going. And, you know, I was actually buying Robbie Fowler's autobiography that day. I had Fowler is God on my jersey. I was proper tomboy. Liverpool tracks on the works. And everyone went down apart from me and my friend Stacey we stayed in the hotel room and as luck would have it who did they meet <laughs> Robbie Fowler and like I think back then like it was like I think Adele had texted me and said you're not going to believe who's in the pub Robbie Fowler and I was like fuck off like, I didn't know like that that was actually like I think and then the, the bit that made me believe her <laughs> said oh but he's very rude and I was like, but she wouldn't say that if he was really there. Like, then, oh, look, I was absolutely heartbroken. They all come back and they were like in the room saying, we met Robbie Fowler. 
But yeah, it actually happened. They met him. You have pictures and everything to prove. Well, maybe. You know what they say, Brian? Yeah. You should never meet your hero. I was just about what I was going to say. My best mate is a Liverpool fan as well. He met Robbie Fowler and he said exactly the same thing. Really? He was, he, was ah. a bit, he was a bit of an arsehole, yeah. But, oh, but look, a lot of drunk people. <laughs> yeah. But like, I suppose like, you know, you wouldn't like, <laughs> I was sticking up for Robbie here, you wouldn't like a lot of drunk Irish people no. ruining up to you in the no, club. So no, no, I get it, I get it, I get it, I'm a joke. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. That's a, that's a nice little way to um, finish off the On podcast. a high note, yeah, <laughs> or a sad note. Yeah. Maria, thank you very much for coming on the Thanks, podcast Brian. today. Appreciate, really appreciate it. it. Take care. All right, bye-bye.